Blog Talk Radio. Mysteries on the BookSpeak Network. Uh, I'm co-host Sherry Knowlton, and with me, uh, J.M. West. Our mystery and suspense novels are published by Sunbury Press and its mystery imprint, Milford House. I write the Alexa Williams series of books, Dead of Autumn, Dead of Summer, and Dead of Spring. My new one, Dead of Winter, will be released in February. Hi, I'm Jenny West. I write the Carlisle Crime Scene. Cases, Dying for Vengeance, Courting Doubt and Darkness, Darkness at First Light, and Had a Dying Fall, featuring homicide detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. My newest book, Things Strangled, I hope, will be released in the spring of 2019. So today on the Milford House Mysteries, we're pleased to have a guest with an interesting and eclectic background who's now adding fiction author to her resume. We're going to chat with Pat LaMarche about her upcoming book, The Magic Diary. But we'll also be talking to Pat about her work as a journalist, a homeless advocate, a nonfiction author, a politician, and a philanthropist. Pat LaMarche describes herself as an activist, an advocate, and champion of the underdog. And she's also known to tilt a few windmills. Pat was born in Providence, Rhode Island, and educated at Boston College and University of Amsterdam. She ran for vice president of the United States in 2004 and was beaten by a man who shot his friend in the face. (laughs) Pat has published two nonfiction books, Daddy, What's the Middle Class? and Left Out in America, The State of Homelessness in the United States. She's author of one published book, children's book, The Special Presence. Preparing for her to publish her first novel um, is in the works, and it's called The Magic Diary. Does that sound intriguing? Formerly from Maine, she worked as a DJ, and Pat now makes her home in Carlisle with husband Charles Bruce, and together they maintain and facilitate the Charles Bruce Foundation to aid artists of all stripes, like me, to produce and promote their art. A career journalist, LaMarche has written freelance articles and columns formerly for the Huffington Post as well as other magazines and media outlets, including articles on homelessness, women, and politics. Both mother and grandmother, our guest seems to have boundless energy. Pat, welcome to Milford House Mysteries. Oh, thank you very much for having me. You guys are great. <laughs> well, so let's plunge right in and learn a little bit more about you. Um, before we talk about your new book, um, we thought it, since you've got such an interesting background, we'd like to give our listeners a chance to get to know you. And I thought maybe we could start with the politics part of your background. Uh, I don't believe that Jody and I have ever had a national political candidate on our podcast, so that's a first. Can you tell us a little bit about that part of your history? Sure. Um, 
Well, I was in the media for a long time, and um, I started my career in television. Uh, and I always say that I turned 35, put on 20 pounds, and went straight to radio. And um, <laughs> when I <laughs> when I was in radio, radio was I was a single mom, and radio is a great job. Um, it was a better job than television because the hours were so crazy in television. And um, but when I was a morning disc jockey, I'd get up very early. Um, my mom would take the kids. I'd get up very early, and I'd go to work. And I'd always be home by the time they got off the school bus. So it was a it was a better fit for me. Um, I started out doing mindless regular everyday old radio um, where, you know, you, the average disc jockey who does stupid human tricks. Like I lived in tanks and I lived on Ferris wheels and I, I played music, rock and roll country, whatever they paid me to play. Um, I used to say, I thought of the stupidest thing possible. And then I said it, um, you know, and, and it was, I was trying to give people a reason to get in the shower and go to work, you know, and that's, that's really the purpose of it. But I had uh, an ear turned to, the things that mattered to me. So I was brought up by a mom who uh, was a champion of justice. And so I, I cared a lot about the poor and poverty. And because I was a single mom, I, I lived in poverty. Um, and I was, I, I was offered a job to be the liberal half of a conservative liberal talk program. Um, and what I didn't understand was I was in, about to become immersed in conservative radio where the liberal was just always supposed to lose the point of being the liberal on the radio was to make the conservative look good so um i didn't like that i didn't like that, that shake out you know i i thought my argument was a better my argument why in the world i remember one day they told me to argue that the people on value jet remember value jet when it went down the everglades that yeah. the people on value jet deserved to die because they bought cheap tickets and cheap tickets didn't like imply a, a final destination. I was like, how can you argue these things? So um, anyway, I um I caught the ear of people who were um, politically savvy and trying to start a new political party, trying to trying to start a new political reality. Really, they the two party system seemed to be a failure and. I don't know that we have time on any radio program, even if it went on forever, to argue, you know, that it's not a failure. Um, but uh, they were trying to look for alternatives. And in Maine, we had already had uh, independent people, people who had beaten both the Democrat and the Republican. Anyway, these Green Party people showed up at my house one night and they liked to run for governor. And I said, you know, the bar is actually three doors down. You just knocked on the wrong door. Because I couldn't believe that these people, who, after listening to me on the radio, thought – I should run for public office, but I thought a lot about it and, and I, and I took him up on it. Um, and it was life changing for me. Obviously I ended up being the first woman in the history of the state of Maine uh, to start a political party um, because in the state at the time you had to get a certain number of votes in order to, uh, to make a political party exist. And Hannibal Hamlin, who was um, Abraham Lincoln's vice president was the first Republican to make the Republican party in Maine. So, you know, this is a long history of it. Um, anyway, so not to get it lost in the weeds, but uh, I, I ran this campaign and I was on CNN on election night because I had the, the least expensive votes in the country. We raised and spent $20,000 and I got 63,000 votes. And like, people were like, wow, this is amazing. And I caught the eye of the national green party. Um, mm -hmm. And 
fast forward to 2004, I was asked to be the Green Party's uh, vice presidential candidate, which if, at first I didn't want to do it. I, it was very hard on my children when I ran for governor. Um, someone asked my son, he was only 11 at the time, what was the best thing about his mother running for vice president or for governor? And he said that he got to eat pizza every night. <laughs> that wasn't saying much for my for my parenting skills. <laughs> but um, uh, anyway, uh, you know, I, I just saw the, the, the nightmare of 2004 where, um, you know, I was not only beaten by a man who shot his friend in the face, Dick Cheney, but I was also beaten by a man who got his photographer pregnant while his wife was dying of cancer. So oh, if dear. I wasn't the best choice between those two vice presidential candidates i don't know what's wrong with the world (laughs) 53 million votes for dick cheney 52 million votes for john edwards and you know so the rest is as we say history (laughs) or not history well (laughs) history no one will ever remember so you were a standout just for curiosities, who was your presidential candidate that you ran with? I'm, I'm blanking oh. on the Green Party David candidate Cobb. at that time. Yeah. Okay. David Cobb. Right. So um, Ralph Nader, people recognize Ralph Nader's name. Ralph Nader ran in 2000. And um, I was on the, I guess I was on the short list for Ralph Nader's running mates. But Wanilla uh, hmm. LeDuc uh, ran with him. And then um, the night before Ralph Nader announced he was going to run for president in 2004, I had dinner with Ralph Nader and I said, please don't run because Al Gore actually won the election in 2000, but nobody believes it. And they like to blame you for it. And I just like my political party not to be dragged through the mud because of all of this subterfuge, political subterfuge. And so the next day he did say that he was running for president, but he said he would not run as a green. So that opened up, for someone else to be the Green Party candidate, um, and then there, then other things happened that changed all that. But um, so oh. Ralph, by the way, Ralph doesn't have dinner with me anymore. <laughs> he Guess ended up not. being the, the yeah. He ended up being the Reform Party candidate uh, in t- 2004. I don't know if you remember the Reform Party, but. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I okay. lived – so I thought I thought there was a good chance I would lose. I thought that there was a very good chance that as the Green Party's vice presidential candidate in 2004 that I probably would not be vice president. So I thought <laughs> I have to do something with my time that's valuable. And so while I was vice president, I lived in homeless shelters. While I was, vice president, while I was running for vice president, I lived in homeless mm-hmm. shelters. And I kept a, a journal, and that journal ended up being my first book, Left Out in America, um, okay. The state of homelessness, because I, I just got home, and when all the all the dust settled, I took the stories of the people I met, and I wrote "Left Out in America," and that so that was my was published initially by Opala Press in Maine, and that was my first book. So that's where that came from. So, is that how you ventured into journalism? Or, no, or I was a journalist from way back. Yeah, I started I started in TV, uh, television, and then radio, and then just put on twenty more pounds when I turned forty five and went to print. <laughs> I just kept getting I just kept getting pushed further and further to the back of the room. Um, but I love writing, and I always wanted to be a writer. When I was a child, I wanted to be a writer, and I would write these chapter books when I was like seven or eight. And my mom, uh, when she died, I found these chapter books in her in her bureau. Um, so I always wanted to be a writer. It's just, and, and I really like, I think I liked what writing for television and radio taught me because it taught me to write succinctly 
It taught me to write, you know, simple sentences that were clear and easy to understand because when you, when you write for a broadcaster, you know, they're going to get maybe 50 seconds to tell a story and they cannot tell it in long, complicated fashion. You know, the, the average person isn't just watching TV. They're also cross-stitching or cutting up onions for dinner or yelling at their kids or, you know, trying to coach soccer. So television and broadcast writing has to be very clear and very succinct and very almost, you know, clipped. And so mm-hmm. uh, as a writer, I've tried to uh, – you get to expand on that, which is fantastic, but you – you also, I, I like to try and keep my style that sort of more simple, direct fashion stuff. Mm-hmm. Thanks. So um, in print, you, you, I know that you've written both for the Huffington Post for a while. Um, I know they went through some changes and scaled down considerably. Um, now you write for, is it Common Dreams? Um, and mm-hmm. do you yeah. do other um, print writing uh, in journalism at this point? I did freelance for a long time. Um, I, some of my writing was in the, uh, the Patriot News there in Harrisburg. Um, I wrote for uh, about seven or eight years for the Bangor Daily News. I was a columnist there. Um, but I don't have a regular writing gig. And um, part of that is because when you write full time um, in order – and it's bleak now, especially in the worlds of, 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 you know, all the news is on the web. Um, it's hard to find newspapers that can pay journalists. So even, yeah. even when I was a, a, a radio journalist and a, and a radio news person and a news director, I always had a second job. I was always bartending or, you know, I used to work in, um, in gyms. Um, cause at least then I could be in the gym occasionally cause I was, you know, I was a single mom. So I, I never had a media job that would pay so that you could, you know, survive. And certainly, um, you know, my hats are off to the amazing journalists that are out there right now that, but, you know, landing a job at like the New York times or Washington post where you might actually be able to feed your kids. I, I haven't mm-hmm. ever had any of that in my life, you know? Yeah. Well, you've led us to one of the key things that seem to drive you. You've talked a bit about, you know, being a social advocate um, and, so far, it sounds like from what you've said that you have uh, a major focus on the homeless and the disp- dispossessed women, and are, so all, all your nonfiction books you focus on seem to be what you care about, what you are passionate about. Um, what have you learned? Oh, about my God, I've learned a lot. Yeah, um, well, even when I was in radio, uh, one of the great things about being the – Talk radio is a nightmare. I, I can't, I mean, my hat's off to both of you women for doing this show because you have to, you have to um, conjure a topic and then maintain interest in it. Um, but when you're doing political talk radio, you know, you're just walking around with a bullseye on you. And I actually kind of like a bullseye. I have had people come up to me and say, I'd like to debate you. And I say, you would? And they say, uh, no, on second thought, I wouldn't. <laughs> I know my work is done. But, <laughs> but um, you know, when you're in, in regular, everyday, um, high-profile morning radio and your job is to make people happy, um, you actually have a lot of power to remind them that they're powerful. 
So I spent a lot of time doing things like living literally in an A19 M40 Abrams tank for Thanksgiving every year, and I'd collect 40,000 tons of food and thousands of dollars to feed the poor. So even when I was doing my job that was paying my bills, I could use my bully pulpit to just refocus people, not only on the fact that there were people out there that needed them, but refocus them on the fact that they were capable of being the savior. You know, um, if you have three extra cans of, of sweet potatoes in your house that you know you are never going to use. Well, we can put those to good work, you know, and, and make people feel powerful. And to this day, Facebook is like my new way of reminding people like just today um one of the things the foundation that i work with the charles bruce foundation we pay for flute lessons for this little girl and so i found this little girl a flute on facebook and then i found a a benefactor on facebook who pays for her flute lessons for us you know just being able to yeah just being able to get people out there and understand that they can be the answer to the problem um First of all, everybody wants to feel like that. And and when people tap into that, it's such a great thing. You know, it is such a great thing. I, don't, I, I sleep at homeless shelters, and I do things that are very depressing. But it's not that I like to be depressed. It's that I like to think that somebody made somebody else's life just a little bit easier, you know. And I always mm-hmm. have help. I, I slept uh, Christmas Eve. I slept at the shelter. Um, and... Uh, I put it out there on Facebook that I was going to sleep at the homeless shelter here in town in Carlisle and um, people bought goodies. <laughs> people bought the, uh, gift cards to put in stockings and, and people bought me the stockings and I got the number of people that would be staying at the shelter and every single person at that shelter got a stocking. One woman gave me cash to give to everyone. And I said, oh. how non-judgmental of you, you know, to just say, here's some cash. And she said, look, if somebody needs to buy a pack of cigarettes, I don't want to be judging them on Christmas Day. So, I mean, people were just mm-hmm. amazing. And that's what I really love. I love the fact that, and, and when I write a note or, or a story or an article for Common Dreams or something, I can very often find a way to give people an opportunity to, to tap into that thing, good thing they want to do. That, that the thing that makes them feel better about themselves. That sounds great. Um, I know we want to get your magic diary book, um, and we will in just a minute. But since this is uh, many of our listeners are are big readers, I thought I'd ask you about Stephen King. Don't you have a Stephen King <laughs> relationship or story in your background somewhere? <laughs> Yeah, when um so there I wrote Left Out in America which is the story of living in the homeless shelters when I was running for vice president and um a minister in Carlisle read my book and called me up and said, "Hey, why don't you come live in Carlisle, Pennsylvania and work with the homeless?" <laughs> I'm like, "Hey, I'm in the pickle aisle at the grocery store. Who is this?" Um but I met the minister and I loved the idea and I moved picked up my stuff. All I had was the contents of a Honda Civic drove down to Carlisle and went to work with the homeless. And um, I was down here working for about five years, and uh, I got a phone call from Stephen King's people. And uh, his people called me because I don't have people. And um, <laughs> so when Stephen King's people called, they said, Stephen King owns, he owns radio stations. 
So they said he owns these radio stations, and he has he wants to make a, a political presence. He wants to have political talk radio, and we'd like you to come up and, and meet with us and think about being the morning show for Stephen King's uh, political talk radio program. So, um, you know, Stephen King, right? The first time right. I ever met Stephen King, I was about 29 years old. Uh, maybe 30 years old, I was in television and um, <laughs> was at the, I, I was sent to the Democratic caucuses. They have caucuses, not primaries in Maine for, you know, picking the candidate. So I was sent to the Democratic caucuses and um, I walked by Stephen King. Now, even when I was 29, everyone, when I was in high school, Carrie came out. So oh, he yeah. was really famous. But, but in Bangor, Maine, you know, like, He's more famous than Paul Bunyan. He's just it. He's the bomb. And he's so infinitely generous. He gives to the University of Maine system. He gives to the average Joe. He gives to everybody. He's just he's just a, a hero. So I'm walking by Stephen King, and he says, hello, Pat, 2930, you know? Mm-hmm. And I looked at him, thinking in my head, why, hello, Mr. King. I'm the incredibly articulate brunette you want to have in your next movie. And I said, ah, <laughs> That's the exact <laughs> quote. My response was, ah. <laughs> he just walked by me and rocked his head and like, I guess that's a person that can't speak. Um, so the thought that I was actually going to get to go up to Maine and, and get to know Stephen King, go back to Maine, get to know Stephen King, get to be the voice of his morning show, which was a blast because – we had all the Stephen King special effects. You know, if I got mad at somebody on the radio, this big sound effect would come on and say, and now let's see who Pat's going to drag out to Stephen King's woodshed. <laughs> Scream, chains would clack, the door would open. And then, you know, it was just a, it was a blast. So I, I did that for a couple of years. Uh, President Obama was was um, reelected, and, uh, which was all part of the agenda um, of, you know, Mr. King is a very uh, loyal Democrat. I'm a, I'm a green, but um, he is a very, very strong and supportive Democrat. And he was very supportive of president Obama. And um, so when that was over, I came back down here and started running another homeless shelter. So, you know, my work was done and I, I really missed my, my poor people. You know, you can do a lot of good things. When I was working for Stevie King, one winter he gave me a hundred and ten or a hundred and twenty thousand dollars so that I could heat people's homes. <laughs> you know, oh my and, gosh! And I used that. I know I used that hundred and twenty thousand dollars to raise another hundred and fifty thousand. And so, by working for Stephen King, and I slept out on the front lawn in the in a snow mound. Um, we came up with $270,000 for the poor and the elderly to have heat in their homes in Maine. So, I mean, working with that man is everything only on a scale beyond what you can imagine. So it was quite a, quite a thrill. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And you've given a sense of your uh, background, you know, of, of you know what you've been doing. But uh, The Magic Diary is not your first. You wrote a children's book, didn't you? Um. Yeah, well, I wrote a special present um, about uh, maybe six or seven years ago, um, which had a very small run. Um, all of the sale of all of my books that I've written, um, when I first wrote uh, Left Out in America, I was not affiliated with the Charles Bruce Foundation, and I didn't have anything to do with it. And uh, 
so that book just sold and you know paid me about uh a buck 380 you know i got a couple of packs of gum and some some nice soda out of it uh i've never gotten wealthy on any of this stuff but um uh then when it was my uh, publisher um up in Maine, you know, the great economic crisis of 2008 happened. And so uh, when I came down to Carlisle, the Charles Bruce Foundation took over as publisher and republished Left Out in America with a new um, intro and by Diane Nyland, who's a national homeless advocate. And um, so from that point, Left Out in America, then later um, Daddy, What's the Middle Class, which is the story of how the middle class invented itself. Um, I traveled 9,800 miles around the country and interviewed historians and other um, great people uh, who labor union leaders. I met the the guys from the Memphis sanitation strike that Martin Luther King Jr. was at when uh, when he was killed. Um, anyway, all these stories of where the middle class came from and how they invented itself. Uh, those books are all published by the Charles Bruce Foundation, and every penny from those books goes to help writers, artists, and musicians. So I don't make any money from those. And it was the same with the special present. That was a children's book that uh, had a limited run, but all the proceeds from it went to the Charles Bruce Foundation and helps. We, you know, they do things from paying a, a an artist's medical bills to a musician's first month's rent so they can stop being homeless to to uh, just paying musicians and, and artists to perform in public. So well, the, the Magic Diary is a whole new. That's a whole different foray into what I hope will be, a, you know, a, a fiction writing career because I like to make up stories. So why don't you tell us well, about this new uh, yeah. project with the Magic Diary? Uh, you know, I, I've read a, a few chapters of it. Um, I think Jody has read perhaps uh, a few or all. I know it's all? coming out. Uh, not next week, but in the, the the spring sometime. Tell us a little bit about the the whole plot, the premise of the book. Um, without any spoilers. My, yeah, without any spoilers. Okay, well, when my son was a little, when he was born, he had a birth defect. And um, they told me he would die. And then when he was three, a doctor operated on him and saved his life. And that makes me the luckiest woman alive because most parents, when they hear their child will die, their child does die. Um, and not me, you know, as long as my son doesn't do anything stupid to walk in front of a truck, everything should go well. Um, that was 30 years ago. So um, I, because of John, I ended up becoming a director of the Children's Miracle Network for a number of years. Uh, and through that job, I met all of those children I'm talking about that weren't as lucky. Um, and I, I met a lot of kids that had um, all kinds of health care issues or 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 other things that happened to them that that would have tested the, the grit of any adult. And I was always impressed by these kids. Um, I always said some of the best things I've learned, I learned from a dying child, like you're not dead yet. Um, you know, there's a reason to be happy because you have today. There are just really great things that these kids taught me. And um, there was one young woman I, I was best friends with, and um, she impressed me so much that she is the basis of this character. So what I've done is I've written a book about this young woman who battles with cancer. And that sounds like a real Debbie Downer, but it, it's not because um, I don't think it is. Because this kid was wonderful, and, and I loved her, and she taught me so many wonderful things. And she was an adventurer. So I, from that point, the book changes. 
So the first 50 pages, what happens is this little girl's sick. She's got, you know, she's got cancer. So her teacher gives her a diary and says, you know, this journal is magic because when you write in it, time will go more quickly. You have to wait for the doctor, just write in your diary. You have to wait for your chemo, just write in your diary. And so this little girl starts a diary, which is the magic diary because, you know, time goes quickly. So the first 50 pages or so are her telling the story of, you know, her life and her parents and how everything came to pass. And now, you know, she's 14 years old. She um, has to be admitted to the hospital. She's got this magic diary. And she has to do her homework like all kids have to do. And they're doing um, World War II, which we teach our kids at 14, which blows my mind that we expect 14-year-olds to understand such massive things like a world war. But anyway... She reads about Harry Truman and the end of the war when she's doing her homework and she's alone in the hospital and she's writing in her diary and she writes, I hate you, Harry Truman. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Hateful Harry. Hateful Harry. You know, I'm in a hospital. Ground Zero was a hospital. He killed 80,000 people in 10 seconds. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Falls asleep in a fit of, you know, despair. And when she, when she wakes up the next morning, Harry Truman has written back. And she flips out, you know, because, <laughs> yeah, where did Harry Truman come from? And this diary, maybe, really is magic. And Harry Truman never apologized for dropping the bomb, but he did explain it. And he explained it over and over and over again. And so I read Harry's writings, and I read, he, he's wonderful because he wrote so many letters to his wife. I read his style of writing. Um, you know, I'm the writer of the book, so I don't pretend to write in the style of everybody that's in it. But So Harry Truman is just the first one who writes to her. In the course of the book, Charlie Chaplin writes to her. Um, um, uh, Albert Einstein writes to her. Florence Nightingale writes to her. Mother Anne Seton writes to her. And about 15 people out of history help this little girl through her journey. Um, of course, she keeps writing in the book, too. Um, she's got this great-grandmother who she can trust with anything. She doesn't want to tell her mom about the, her diary because she's pretty sure she's hallucinating and there isn't any writing in there but hers. So she shows it to her grandmother, and son of a gun, but her grandmother can see it, too. So mm-hmm. her grandmother, her grandmother, and, you know, you two both write such great books. And one of the things I really admire about your writing is the way you do your research behind it and you talk to the police departments and you make sure that the stuff in your books are accurate and that if people don't know it, they should be buying they should be buying Jody and Sherry's books because they're fabulous. So Thank you. But, but that was one of for the plug. And it's true. And but one of the things I tried to do that was, was Sherry Jody ish was I got myself a psychic, a real live bona fide tarot card instructor, because the grandmother to help the little girl hires a psychic so that she can figure out what's going on with these ghosts that come out of the past to write to her. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the best compliments I ever got was uh, someone said that it reminded them of a Christmas carol because these ghosts come out of nowhere to help someone through, through what they're journeying with. And I never thought of that. And then the reason it's a mystery is, are there really ghosts writing this little girl? You know, what's yeah. happening? What's going right. on here? Like, like the little girl's very skeptical in the book. And Mrs. Mattingly is a psychic. And she says, the psychic tells her that there are going to be really smart people around her. And she's mm-hmm. like, I'm in a hospital. 
yeah. smart people around me, and one of them is probably writing in this book. You know, so it, it's where is this writing coming from? Is is the part of my book that's the mystery? Yeah, that's uh, even though the book itself, the Magic Diary, is not a mystery, it contains a mystery, and that's one of the things I really liked about it. But you know what, Pat? We're just about out of time today. So is there anything else Yeah, you'd like to uh, share with us or our audience? Or where can we just, get your books and follow you on social media? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I have a, a Twitter handle, Pat H. LaMarche. At mm-hmm. Pat H. LaMarche um, is my Twitter handle. Um, I'm on Facebook, mm-hmm. Pat LaMarche on Facebook, P-A-T-L-A-M-A-R-C-H-E is how you spell my name. But I just found out to, about 10 minutes before the show that I have a book signing um, February 9th. So Saturday, it's during the ice festival. At Car- uh, Carlisle's having an ice festival. And I'll be at History on High on High Street. Um, from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. with both of my books, uh, Daddy Was the Middle Class and um, um, Left Out in America. And I was surprised. They, they called and asked if I'd do it, and I was surprised because my books have been out for a little while. Um, but hopefully I'll be back there again when The Magic Diary comes out. Oh, hmm. that's and, uh, great. Yeah, and that's about one of the best places to pick up the book is History on High. They sell a lot of my books there, and, and they're great. That's another great thing. You're helping the Historical Society when you buy the books there, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, perhaps when the Magic Diary comes out, we can have you back on to really spend more time uh, about the Magic Diary, and you'll be able to tell our listeners uh, where they can pick it up and uh, a little bit more since we ran out of time a bit. Um, yeah, but really, we want to thank you for coming on today, Pat. It's been very interesting. Oh, thanks so much for having me. And a reminder to all of you readers, our books are available at Sunbury Press's online bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers. And as a special thanks to all of you for listening to the Milford House Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed our program. Our next program will be on Thursday, January 24th, when we will interview another author. And in the meantime, you can follow us on social media. Sherry? I'm on the web at www.sherrynolton.com, plus Facebook and Twitter. And I'm on facebook.com backslash Carlisle Crime Cases by J.M. West. And visit my new website, carlislecrimecases.com. And thank you, Pat, for coming and joining us for today. And until next time. We'll see you then. Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.